This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And welcome again to Worshiping with West Concord. Glad you're joining us online today as we continue our series from the book of 1 Peter. Hope you and your family are doing well as you're journeying through this whole generation we're in right now. Going through COVID, we have unrest in our cities, we have political things going on, and it reminds us that this journey that we're on, this thing called life, is difficult. But one thing we do understand as we open up 1 Peter is that this is temporary. We as believers, and if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we as believers are only here temporarily. As a matter of fact, when you and I got saved, our citizenship shifted from this world to heaven, to the kingdom of God. And so we are now citizens of heaven rather than citizens of this world. And therefore, we're, we're almost like resident aliens. We're here on a temporary spiritual visa, if you will. And so our, our hope is in heaven, our longing is for heaven, but until we get there, we're here. And being here, we're in this broken, fallen world that we're still stammering and struggling through as we're facing all of these things. And, and listen, if it weren't COVID-19 or, or craziness in our cities or political rows going on, we'd be facing other things. We'd be dealing with all kinds of personal issues, financial issues. Listen, from the Garden of Eden, humanity's been dealing with difficulty ever since. So this is nothing new. It's just big and different, and hopefully God will bring us through it. But until He does, we need to understand how do we ford our way? How do we navigate as we sojourn through this world, through all this difficulty? So that's why we're looking at 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter was written, in a sense, as a guidebook for Christian aliens, a guidebook for Christian sojourners. And we see that coming right out of the first chapter. Last week when we did the overview of 1 Peter, we saw the reality that we live in, the fact that we are sojourners and aliens in this world. We also looked at some other aspects of traveling through the world. And so as we now jump into the details, we're going to pick it apart as we go through each chapter. But before we begin, I want to take you back to the Old Testament because I want this couple of verses from the book of Proverbs to be sort of our basis. Because I, as we go through 1 Peter, I want you to keep the idea of the journey in mind. I want you to keep the idea that you and I are temporarily traveling through this world until God calls us home. And this verse, and these verses rather, have given me a lot of comfort through things that I'm going through and have been through. But in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your paths straight. And so as we walk through this world and as we deal with the stumblings and the stammerings of life, we understand that as we trust God and as we rely upon Him, He will make our paths straight. The Hebrew word there also includes the idea of making our paths a little smoother. We're not going to get rid of the bumps. We're not going to get rid of the difficulties, but our faith is like a shock absorber. So I want you to keep that passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in your mind. You know, if not, you can memorize it. That's a wonderful passage to memorize it. I have, and it's a great comfort to me through difficult times. And these are difficult times. And as we travel through them, and we need all the help we can get to get through them, to go through them. 
I go back as I was studying, I went back and I, I, I remembered a, a song that I heard our choir do several years ago at Christmas time. Now I realize it's, it's just December and Christmas is uh, still three months off. People, however, are buying pumpkin spice coffee. They want to put their trees up early. All this stuff is going on. I realize that because I think we're all desperate for holidays and desperate for some cheer. But I do remember this song, and it's based on a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And two verses in this song or two verses in this poem really struck me. And so I wanted to include them in today's message. I'm going to start with one verse as we begin, but I'm going to finish with another verse as we end. But as we look at it this, this, this afternoon, I want you to notice it says in this verse from the song, he says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. What made him write that? Well, as a young man, when he and his wife, soon after they were first married, they lost their first child. His wife miscarried the child. And through that, she developed some medical problems and she subsequently passed away. Years later, he met another young lady. They were married. And uh, just before the Civil War, she was caught in a fire. The fire somehow got started as she was writing letters and uh, she was burned severely. He went to, to rescue her to try to put the fire out, and he was burned. If you've ever seen pictures of him, he's got a long, white, flowing beard. The reason why, he wasn't trying to be fashionable. He was burned all over his face and couldn't shave anymore. And so he was injured, but she was, she was burned badly enough to where finally it took her life as well. So he had grief upon grief. And then the Civil War began, and his son left home to fight for the North. And uh, while he was an abolitionist, he hated slavery. He also hated war and didn't want to lose his son to the war. But he, he, he let him go and his son was wounded. And, and so he was just grief upon grief. It was piled upon him. And he sat down and as he wrote this poem, he just, he just couldn't get over the fact that this world was difficult, filled with hate, filled with difficulty, filled with sorrow. And it just pressed upon him. But as he wrote, he heard church bells ringing. And as we get to the end of this message, I'll share the next stanza with you. But before we do that, let's go ahead and go to, word of, go to prayer and have a word of prayer. And then we'll jump into 1 Peter. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you that, again, we can meet online and also this Sunday morning as we meet together, that we can open your word and find comfort, encouragement, and challenge. And Father, I pray that you'd help us all to see ourselves as temporary residents here. That Father, this is not our home, but heaven is our home. While we're here, help us to impact this place, not let it impact us, and help us to give you glory in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So join me back in 1 Peter. We're going to go back to chapter 1. Now, when we looked at chapter 1 last week, when we did the overview of 1 Peter... We talked about the fact that 1 Peter chapter 1 demonstra demonstrates the reality that we live in. And the reality is, as I've said earlier, we are aliens and sojourners in this world. As a matter of fact, when we begin the book, Peter shows us our present condition. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to look in verse 1 with me, and he says this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, again, he's introducing himself, 
signing the letter. He says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He was writing to Christians whom the Roman Empire dispersed all over the empire, mainly because they they chased the Jews out of Rome. Very anti-Semitic. And Rome got tired of the Jews, and so they chased the Jews out of Rome. And because the Christian church at that time was so aligned with Judaism still, Christians left too. And so a lot of these people had left their homes. They were chased away and they were spread out all over the world in strange places with strange languages and strange customs. And, you know, here we are, we're in this world. And as believers, as much as we try to make ourselves at home here, it doesn't work. That's why nothing in this world ever satisfies us. You know, we go out and we buy a new car, got a brand new car, but then later on we get tired of it. Or we get a bigger house and we move in and it's all nice and shiny. But later on, it gets too small. We get tired of it. We buy new clothes and the fashions change. We try new foods and our appetites and tastes change. Nothing in this world satisfies us. Why? Because this isn't our home. We live in a strange place with strange customs, strange languages, strange fashions. Because this is not our home anymore. Our home is in heaven. And so therefore, it's no wonder that like these dispersed pilgrims or sojourners that Peter is writing to, we find ourselves uncomfortable here. And so he talks about our our present condition, and that's where we are. Again, that's how you need to see yourself. If you're going to make sense out of life as a believer in this world, you have got to see yourself as God sees you as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, as a resident alien. And as depressing and sad as that sounds, Peter now goes on to show, as we look at this, our purchased position. While we are displaced as a people, nonetheless, we are, as believers, the people of God. Look at verse 2. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You know, he's going to say, look, you're dispersed, you're cast away. But spiritually speaking, positionally speaking, you and I as believers are chosen by God, elect. Chosen how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice as we look at verse 2, all the Godhead, the triunity of God is involved in purchasing and providing our salvation. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There's God the Father. In sanctification, that word means simply to set apart. In sanctification of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And so God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, three in one, one in three, the Godhead in full, all were involved in the purchasing and providing of our salvation. And so positionally, while... Our condition is bad. Our condition is is that we're scattered and aliens. Positionally, we stand before God as as His children. We've been bought and paid for through through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And God has elected to save all who would believe in Christ as Savior. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are one of the elect. You've been been saved. And the Spirit of God comes and indwells us, gives us energy and power and equips us to obey. And uh, we have the sprinkling of the blood of Christ that that allows heaven to be our home and God to be our Father. And then he says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. 
So even in their condition, and I'm sure they were struggling and having a difficult time, they were not where they wanted to be, with who they wanted to be with, doing what they wanted to do, kind of like us today. But even though their condition, their present condition was difficult, their purchased position was able to lift them up to show them something. And so I want you to notice as we finish this section where it talks about this, he says in in verse 3, he talks about a positive conviction. A positive conviction. Look at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to, and here's what I've titled this section, a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Yes, positionally, we are scattered. Yes, positionally, or rather conditionally, we're scattered. We're struggling. We're having a difficult time. But positionally, we've been bought. We've been purchased. And so therefore, we have this wonderful conviction. We have this wonderful understanding of our situation. It is a positive conviction that we belong to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope. Why does he call it a living hope? Let's talk about those two words. First, let's look at hope. Hope, we've talked about this before, does not mean wishful thinking. Oh, I hope I make it to the team or I hope I get a raise. Uh, that's, That's not the biblical understanding of hope. Hope is a confident anticipation. Hope is a sure anticipation of something promised. I have hope for salvation because I have placed my faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior. Therefore, not only do I have a confident anticipation of hope, but I have a living hope because Jesus is alive. And that's what he says. He has begotten us again. He has made us born again to a living hope. So because we have a living hope, even though our condition is terrible, even though our condition at present is difficult, We are a purchased possession by God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we have a positive conviction that even though we're going through difficult times, even though it's difficult, we have hope. And it's not just a wishful blind leap in the dark, but it is a living, confident anticipation of deliverance, of salvation, of a home in heaven. And why is it living? Because our hope is in Jesus Christ and He is alive. He has risen. He's not like other religious leaders. Muhammad is still dead. Buddha is still dead. Confucius is still dead. You name him, you name her, they're still dead. Jesus alone has risen from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, we have a living hope. Even though everything around us seems to be about death and dying, we as believers in Christ have a living hope. That's part of the reality we live in. That's that's what should encourage us as we make our way in this world, that this is not the end because Jesus rose, one day we will rise as well. So we have a living hope. You know, and it's not that difficult to understand. Even the Roman philosopher, statesman, academic Cicero, who lived and died years before Jesus came to the world, he says this, he says, while there is life, there is hope. It can't get that simple. can't get any more simple than that. While there is life, there is hope. Now, if somebody like Cicero, who lived before Christ, can understand that, now I'm sure he wasn't thinking of Jesus at all, but he did share a very simple axiom. If there is life, there is hope. 
And we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. So if Cicero can get it, certainly we can get it. Certainly we who believe in Christ, who know Him as our Savior, who believe that He was buried and rose again from the dead after He had died, we have hope in Him. So if Christ is alive, we have hope in Christ. While there is life, there is hope. So we have a living hope. We have a living hope. Not only that, but we also have a lasting hope. Because listen, if our hope is living and based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who He will never again face death, then our hope, because it's living and because it's in Christ, a resurrected Christ, then we have a lasting hope. It's not temporary. It's not going to fade or it's not going to crumble away when difficult things come. Look what he says as we continue in verse 4. He says, To an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. He goes on to say in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. First of all, this lasting hope is eternal. You know, the Bible teaches very clearly that once we are saved, once we receive Christ as our Savior, we're saved by faith, trusting in Him as our resurrected Savior. Once we've trusted in Christ, we are saved and we are safe. And so therefore, it is eternal. It's an eternal hope. It's lasting because it's eternal. God says, look, I've created an inheritance for you. I've created a home in heaven for you. Jesus in John chapter 14 talks of the mansions that he was going ahead to prepare. He says in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He went on to say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so he's gone on to give us a lasting hope and it's lasting because it's eternal. He says again in verse four, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. And listen to this, reserved in heaven for you. When I got saved, I got eternal life, not life till I sin again, not life till God gets mad and takes it away. The moment I got saved in February of 1978, I had eternal life. If I were to drop dead right at that moment, I'd go to heaven and be with him. If I were to drop dead right now, I'd go to heaven and be with him. It's eternal life, not life until you sin again. And listen, God's not going to take it away. He's not an Indian giver. If you have eternal life today, you're going to have eternal life a million years from now. So it's lasting it's eternal. Not only that, but it's an enduring hope. It's an enduring hope. Look what he says in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Of course we rejoice. You have a living hope and a lasting hope. And so therefore we should rejoice. But he says this, though for now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. As Peter is writing this, not only were these people scattered in different places, they had already begun to experience a form of persecution by exile and being scattered, but they were also beginning to be persecuted by the, by the Romans because of their faith. And the Roman Empire sought to wipe out the Christians. And Nero, the, the emperor at the time, was really behind this. You know, you hear the history of Nero burning Rome. He fiddled while Rome burned. Well, that's a bit mythic. But Nero basically started the fires that burned Rome because he wanted to recreate Rome in his image. When it was found out that he had something to do with it, what did he do? He blamed the Christians. 
Why? Because they were handy. This new upstart faith that came out of Israel. They didn't like the Jews to begin with, and it was related to they didn't like Christians either. So they went after the Christians, and, and Peter's recipients were already beginning to experience persecution. And he says, so therefore you're being grieved, and you're being uh, challenged, and you're struggling. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, for though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, he talked about the fact that they would go through persecution. They were already starting to. And understand this, many of the recipients of this letter that were scattered in those areas we mentioned earlier, they faced imprisonment, and yes, they faced death because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, understand this, all the trial, all the difficulty, all the struggle would not only prove their faith genuine, not only to them, but to those watching them. Listen, there were many people in Rome and in around Rome and in the Roman Empire that came to Christ watching the courageous faith of those who were persecuted. And also he talked about it's just for a little while because soon you will have the revelation of Jesus. You know, if they died in persecution, they would go to be with Jesus and they would see him. But this life altogether is temporary. The book of James says life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And as you know, life goes by quickly. Life goes by quickly. It seems like just yesterday, uh, I was bringing my children home from the hospital when they were born. Uh, just yesterday, we could go to the mall. We could go to the grocery store. We could eat out. We could do all. Now we have to wear masks. We're limited. Times change. Things go quickly. But listen, this is a temporary sojourn. This is a temporary trip. All the trials that we're experiencing. Oh, we're not being persecuted for our faith. Well, some are, but not, not in the way that these people were, uh, at least here in America. Some are in the world, though. Some of our brothers and sisters in the world are dealing with imprisonment and death. Even some in the United States, their churches are suffering persecution because of the stances they take. But understand this, as difficult as it is and as difficult as it may get, it's only temporary. But our hope is enduring because our living hope and our lasting hope will outlast all of this difficulty. So it is not only eternal, but it is also enduring. It'll, it'll hang in there. And it's also encouraging, knowing that. Look what he says in verse 8, talking about Christ, whom having not seen, you love. You know, the, the recipients of this letter, most of them had never seen Jesus. They came to know Christ way after Jesus had been risen and ascended back into heaven. They came to know Christ through Peter's recollection, through Peter's gospel. He says, and having not seen, you love Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible and full of glory. Joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember what Jesus in the book of John said to Thomas, the doubting apostle, the doubting Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. This is the living embodiment of that. And so are you and I. You know, we can rejoice. We can be encouraged because, again, Jesus, yes, he was crucified. He was buried, but he rose again from the dead. We have a living hope in him. That hope is also lasting. It's a lasting hope. It's eternal. 
And because it's eternal, it's enduring. It'll carry us through as long as we cling to Him. It's a hope that will carry us through whatever trials we face, whatever struggles we face. Our trials and struggles are different from the ones Peter's initial recipients were experiencing, but nonetheless, we still deal with difficulty in our lives, and we always will until He calls us home one way or another. But through faith in Him, as we trust in Him, and as we cling to Him, we are encouraged because of that lasting hope, because that hope will outlast all of this mess. And if we hang on, we will outlast it as well as we trust in Jesus Christ. So this hope in this real world is a living hope. It's based upon this raised Savior. Even though our condition is bad, our position has been purchased, and we have the conviction that one day we will be with Him, it is a lasting hope that is eternal, it is enduring, and it is encouraging. And finally, let me just share with you as we get ready to move into the next point, it is also a legendary hope. But listen to what Dr. Martin Luther King said about hope. And talking about it enduring, he said this, he said, we must accept finite disappointment. What is finite disappointment? Finite, it means it's only temporary. It only, it only goes so far. And yes, all of us face disappointment. All of us struggle one way or another. There is no one who gets out of struggling. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Infinite means everlasting, never-ending hope. It is lasting. And so this is an encouragement from him. And that leads us to understand that our hope is not only living and lasting, but that makes it legendary. It's a legendary hope. You say, Pastor, legendary? Why did you choose that word legendary? Not that it's a legend that may or may not be true, but it's legendary. As somebody wants to look into a legend, you know, we talk about legendary sports figures or legendary poets or legendary artists legendary soldiers, people whose lives have really gotten so big and so strong that even today we study them. You know, when we go through literature, history, and we look back at these lives that are legendary. Well, our hope in Christ is legendary. And not only does it interest people that we share it with, but according to Peter, as he's being led by the Spirit, talks about there are two groups that really are fascinated with what we enjoy. First of all, I want you to notice these groups, the prophets and the angels. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets. And it says they, they searched it and they inquired carefully. Verse 11, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. The Old Testament prophets were able to prophesy of the coming Messiah. They, they were able to talk about where he was to be born, uh, how he was to be raised. They spoke of his life in Nazareth. They prophesied of his many works and wonders. They even prophesied of his death by crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. The prophets also prophesied of his second coming. And they were moved by God's Spirit, and God led them to write. As a matter of fact, you can go back and you can build the entire life of Christ through prophecies that were given hundreds of years before Christ in the Old Testament. 
And so they were able to understand that this Messiah would come. But they didn't know much else about him. We, on the other hand, are on the other side of Jesus' event in the world. We can look back and we know of Jesus. We can read of his life, of his birth, of his many miraculous works. We can read his sayings and his teachings. We know from firsthand witnesses what he experienced in his ministry, in his life, in his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. We know that it's been done. We can look back. We have an edge on the prophets. And so he talked about the Spirit of Christ was in them, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Look at verse 12. It says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the prophets knew, in a sense, and they realized that they were looking ahead and prophesying things that were ahead that we get to look back with a greater understanding and knowledge and enjoy. I love that line. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which had been reported. In other words, for our benefit, we can look back now and see the promises, the prophecies of Jesus, the promises of His coming. And, And we can look back and even demonstrate how that proves that this Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Messiah that God had promised. So we sit in a wonderful place. Listen, the the prophets, it was legendary to them. They just wanted to know so badly what, what, what God was going to do. Many of them lost their lives. They left their homes. They left their families. They suffered martyrs' deaths and brutal deaths because of their message. Go back and read the Old Testament. Some of the things that some of the prophets endured, we don't have time to get into it right now. But they did so so they could communicate that message to future generations. Yes, to the generation wherein they lived, but also to future generations. And listen, that's us. The hope we have is legendary. It's big. It's amazing. And you know what's amazing to me is we set it aside as though it's no big deal. We get more excited about legendary sports figures, legendary NASCAR drivers. We talk about legendary movie stars, legendary authors, you name it. We get so enamored with celebrity today that we don't realize that we have a legendary hope. Why is it legendary? Because it's living. It's based in the prophesied Christ who was crucified and resurrected. We have a lasting hope. It's eternal. It's enduring. It's encouraging. It's legendary. It's amazing, and it's that hope, that confident anticipation of God's love and deliverance that will get us through whatever problem we face in life, that will help us on this journey as sojourners in this world. That's why God has provided the Bible as a whole and 1 Peter specifically. So as we look at this, we see the prophets were interested in this undertaking. The prophets invested their lives and time. But I want you to notice not only were the prophets, but just one line talks about the angels also were interested. Look at, look at verse 12 at the last line. It says, things which angels desire to look into. You know, angels are spiritual beings. And angels, in a sense, are eternal beings. But angels do not possess omniscience, all-knowing knowledge. And angels desire desperately to look into the things that you and I have been given. 
The angels are interested in Christ in you and me. The angels are interested in His death, His burial, His resurrection. The angels are interested in what God is doing on this earth and in this world. You know, we get on Facebook and we like to post pictures of our life. We post pictures of our family meals or our family trips. We post pictures of our of our kidney stones sometimes. We post pictures of all kinds of weird things. Why? Because we want people to be interested in our lives. Listen, you don't have to be on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Understand this, the angels of heaven are interested in what God is doing in your life and mine. You know, it seems like maybe as we go through all of this travail and trouble that we're forgotten, we're set aside. But no, no, no. Heaven is, is very much interested in what God is doing and what He's done and what He will do. So you are of utmost interest to the angels of God because of Jesus Christ and the hope that He has provided for you and I. So the prophets invested their entire lives and liberty into that message that they did not even get to see fully, but we do. The angels are interested in that whole working of God and that hope that we have. It interests them. It keeps them fascinated. Why doesn't it keep us fascinated? Why do we tend to forget it, to set it aside, to treat it as though it's just another thing? Listen, we have hope. We have hope. Again, not wishful thinking. I hope this coronavirus goes away. I hope the cities calm down. I hope my favorite politician wins his or her office. I hope I get this. I hope this happens. No, no, no. This is confident anticipation. Understand this. God knows what's going on. God has even allowed what's going on to go on. Why? Because God has a plan. God has a purpose. And through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, we know that God loves us. And because of that, and because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope, a confident anticipation that no matter what goes on, we're going to be taken care of. We're going to be delivered. We're going to be, we're going to be saved. And so, yes, that gives us hope in this world. That is the reality that we can live in. We're in a fallen, broken, struggling, confused, dark world. And it's a mess right now. It's terrible. But understand this. It is the hope in Christ, and it's only the hope in Christ that's going to carry us through. Hope in Dr. Fauci isn't going to do it. Hope in Donald Trump or Joe Biden isn't going to do it. Hope in our jobs. Hope in our health. Hope in all of these other things. No, it is hope in Jesus Christ because that is a living hope. It's a living hope because He's alive and lives within us if we know Him. It's also a lasting hope. It's eternal. It's enduring. It's encouraging. It's going to outlast the COVID. It's going to outlast the craziness. It's going to be outlasting Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and whoever else may come after them. It's going to be forever. And if we place our hope in Christ, then our hope is eternal and we find encouragement there. And understand this, this isn't just the pie in the sky sentiment. This is a legendary thing. So much so that the prophets invested their life, liberty, and their love in it. So much so that the angels are fascinated and interested in it. We have that kind of hope. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had this to say about faith, hope, and love and how they all work together. He said this, Faith goes up the stairs love has built and looks out the windows which hope has opened. Isn't that a wonderful quote? 
faith goes up the stairs. When we place our faith in God, we go up the stairs that God has built. God has given us faith in Him, in His Son, Jesus Christ. God has given us that way to heaven, and that way is Jesus. He said again in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me. So faith goes up the stairs the way that love has built the love of Christ through the cross and looks out the windows which hope has opened. We have confident anticipation of God's love, God's promises, and we can open the windows and see God instead of garbage. That's the wonder of hope. At the beginning of this message, we quoted Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And if you remember that quote, it was pretty sad. Let me just read that sad part again. He said, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Does that, doesn't that kind of talk about how we feel right now? We feel like there's so much junk going on. There's so much hatred going on. There's so much lying and, and all kinds of sickness going on. We often wonder, whatever happened to peace on earth, goodwill toward men? But as he was writing this, the church bells rang. And this is the next, the next stanza of this poem. He said, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I, I, I'll tell you, even when I read that, that just gives me chills. Because it reminds me that in the deepest, most dark and difficult times of my life, in life in this world, when I just want to know, where are you, God? Where is this peace on earth? Where is this goodwill toward men? I'm reminded that God is not dead, God doesn't sleep, that one day the wrong will fail, one day the right will prevail, and there will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Why? Because this is temporary. We're just going through. We're just sojourners. We're aliens. But one day we'll go home and be with Him, and one day God will make all that is wrong right. And so finally, I want to leave you with one last message. We have been given a living hope. We have been given a living hope so that we might live in hope. Our hope is alive. It's lasting. It's legendary. And it focuses on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the entire world can crumble around you. You can lose everything that this world holds dear but if you know and have Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be all right. Why? Because you have a living hope. Living because He's raised from the dead. You and I have a lasting hope. It's eternal. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to go away. The only reason why sometimes we don't see it, feel it, experience it now is because we ignore it. It doesn't go anywhere. We do. And we have a legendary hope. A great hope that that prophets and angels have poured themselves into. How sad that we 
Forget it and set it aside. I want to challenge you this morning. First, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, go to Him. Listen, none of us deserve heaven. I don't. He said earlier in in chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 and 3, He talked about the mercy and grace of God. It is that grace of God wherein we receive salvation. It's nothing I deserve. It's nothing I've earned. I'm a sinner just like you. I was lost And I came to Him, though, and I understood that I could not save myself. Jesus died to take the blame for what I had done wrong. He was buried and, yes, rose again from the dead. And back in February of 1978, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. That night, I got saved. I've been saved ever since. I've been saved, and if I drop dead right now, I'd go to heaven to be with Him. Why? Because I have an everlasting hope, a confident anticipation of salvation. I want to know as much of it as I can. Because just I'm, I'm, I'm struggling just like you. There are times I get fearful, times I get sad, and I need that hope from God, that legendary hope to restore my spirit. So if you don't know Christ as Savior, you come to Him, you bow to Him, you confess your your sins, rather, you confess that you're a sinner, and you place your faith and confidence in a Savior who died for you, took the blame for you, was buried and rose again from the dead. And the Bible says that if we trust in Him, God gives us everlasting life. You know the verse as much as I do. For God so loved the world, that's you and I, that He gave, He does the giving, His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes, trusts in Him, that's what the word means, to trust and rely upon, would never perish but have everlasting life. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what else can. If you know Jesus as your Savior, don't don't let this world rob that from you. Don't let the circumstances steal that from you. No matter what goes on, no matter how difficult or dark it gets, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have hope, a confident anticipation of one day you will be saved and set free. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.